On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. We are joined by Allison Wisdom. Allison was born, raised, and based in Houston, Texas. She has an MFA from the Vermont College of Fine Arts, received a novel writing grant from the Wedgwood Circle, and was a finalist for this year's Rona Jaffe Award. She attended Tin House and the Lighthouse Writers Workshop, and her short stories have been published in Plowshares, Electric Literature, The Rumpus, Indiana Review, and more. Her debut novel, We Can Only Save Ourselves, is out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women. Thank you for having me. Yay. So tell me a little a bit about We Can Only Save Ourselves in your words. So this is a novel that follows a girl named Alice Lang, and she is kind of the queen of her neighborhood. She's like the all-around perfect girl. Everyone loves her, and she's just exceptional kind of in every way. But she one day meets a mysterious man and she decides to just give it all up and follow this guy and she disappears doesn't tell anyone where she's going she follows him all the way across the state to a different little town and finds out that he's living there in this little bungalow with other young women like Alice Meanwhile, though, at home, her mom and the other neighborhood women who are the ones who narrate the story are wondering what happened to Alice. They're mourning Alice, but they're also kind of resentful of Alice and how she's torn a rift in their perfect world. And they're kind of left to pick up the pieces and grapple with how perfect their carefully crafted world really is. Yeah, very well said. You'd be surprised how many authors don't express themselves as well as that. And also in the promotional stuff we've received, there's a line that says, combining the sharp social critique of Celeste Ng's little fires everywhere with the elegiac beauty of Emma Klein's The Girls, this is a fierce literary debut from a writer to watch. I would agree with all of that. Thank you. And like you just said, the town is the narrator, not Alice, but it's very much Alice's story. Mm -hmm. So I want to start by talking about her, and I'm going to read a little bit one of my favorite parts about when the town describes her. They said, the last person to see the man in the neighborhood before he got in his car and drove away was Alice Lang. Alice Lang, the beloved, the beautiful. She would be crowned homecoming queen in two days. This was an unofficial prediction. The ballots had only just been cast and now sat in a box in the principal's office. But everyone knew she would win because who else could it be? It had always been her, from her first day of kindergarten when she had two skinned knees and a red ribbon in her hair, to fifth grade when she socked Randy Neely in the stomach because he insulted her friend, and she wasn't even punished for it, to junior high when she hurried out of her volleyball uniform and into her cheerleading skirt and onto the sidelines to cheer on the football team, because she could do it all, our girl. To high school, where the girls loved her, the boys loved her, the teachers, the parents, the women who scooped macaroni and cheese in the lunch line loved her. Yes, it had to be Alice Lang. 
What a great description. I mean, that kind of contradiction, that kind of issue one way or issue another that defies categorization is what we love on this podcast. So tell me about Alice, what inspired her, maybe what challenges you encountered writing her. Tell us about Alice. So Alice is in some ways like me, how I grew up, I was always very concerned with being perfect or at least just not disappointing people. And I'm like classic type A, try hard. (laughs) And so Alice, I thought a little bit about if I had gone off the rails (laughs) a little bit, what that would be like. And I did want to make Alice somebody who, as you said, defies easy categorization, because that's really all of us. And actually, it's something I've had to think a lot about with my book, with this book coming out, like how people are going to read it and be like the nice moms at preschool or the people at my church. And they're going to be like, Mm, Oh, my, (laughs) you know, and so I really wanted to kind of bring that through with Alice. One challenge I had with Alice was not making her too frustrating. As I was writing it, I was really worried she was going to be like off-putting to people because she makes some really bad choices and choices that you might not. I think it's easy when you come to somebody who's like in a cult or a situation that you are like, I could never be in this situation. It's hard for me to see how she could be there. So it was hard making it believable that she would join and stay while also not totally alienating her from the reader with them being like, Oh, she's, she's horrible. She's selfish. And she's, you know, her poor mom is at home. And she is like, you know, off doing these things and progressively letting a dark side come through. So that was something I had to really work on and think about with her to not make her too alienating from everyone reading it. Yeah, I think you did a great job of it. I never felt that way. Oh, good. (laughs) And I think that that beat in between before she gets to the house where she's with Wesley at that other party in the other Mm -hmm. house that I think goes a long way to just being like everybody's kind of been in love or feeling something and you're like oh I just kind of gotta go with this and so I think that went a long way to her and also you made it all feel very dreamy and so it wasn't like she was angry or dark or that's fine too, but it was a different decision. And I think it's easier to get carried away in it for yourself as you're reading as well. For sure. And I think like you have to take yourself back to when you were 18. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I remember when I was 18, I felt like, oh, I'm a, I'm a grown up. Yes. <laughs> and oh. you are really in so many ways still a child. Your brain's like not even fully developed I know. yet. It's crazy. And so I'm like, well, that's how that's how you can get swept up in something like this. Absolutely. And I think by the time anyone, no matter how good your life is, by the time high school comes around and you know the next step is college and leaving, you're so ready. <laughs> you're oh, so yeah. ready to just break out. So you write this book in the first person plural the we that represents the community that Alice leaves behind. And when that we is played off the smaller cultish community that she joins with Wesley and the other women, that we, which could be wholesome, idyllic suburb, ends up sounding creepy. And I think in a good way, but that also might be me because I just tend to think the suburbs are creepy. I was raised in the city and then we moved out to a rural town when I went to high school. So 
that in-between has always felt very homogenous, group thinking. Obviously, lots of people love it. And so I'm the outlier yeah. there. But but you really captured it through Alice and how she was seeing it and how it could have tipped one way or the other. You think it's so perfect. And then to her, it's just this nightmare. Did you want to capture the suburbs in that light? Yes, definitely. I grew up in the suburbs as well. And I grew up in a town called Friendswood, which is like the most perfect sounding (laughs) town. It sounds made up. Yes. (laughs) And I was happy there growing up there. And then kind of as I got older and was seeing it in a new light, I started to see how it was for people who didn't fit in as easily. And as I grew up, my beliefs about things changed, my attitudes about things changed. And I was like, oh, I'm seeing what happens to people who might think differently. And it just started to seem like very exclusive. And there is a lot of the homogenous part of a suburb as well. I mean, even when I remember we were getting our house built, you go and you tour the like model home and right. it's like you have three options right, right. of houses to choose from. And I hear being like, that's so strange. And <laughs> then you just get used to it. But as an yeah. adult, now it's something like we live in the city of Houston. We live in like the historic area. And I love how every house is different and everything is a little bit different. So yeah, with the suburbs, I did want it to feel like kind of the group think mentality and Mm -hmm. the suburbs are so safe and it's all this. And I kind of wanted to deconstruct that mythology of what the suburbs are and why people are drawn to them. And yeah, definitely wanted to make it kind of creepy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, you can see why people are drawn to it and then also how that kind of folds in on itself and like now we can't get out, <laughs> you know, we're, we wanted it because it's safe and insulated and, you know, everyone's inclusive, but then you're like, well, now the people on the outside are excluded. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's why I wanted to play up that parallel. Like yes. I have so many friends who left Friendswood for college and now they're back and mm-hmm. they're raising their family there and everyone is still hanging out with the same people that they hung out with in <laughs> high school. Uh-huh. And when I finally moved out from Friendswood, I was like, I did it. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I made it out because there is something so appealing about the houses are beautiful. Everyone's yeah. got land. You've got a swimming pool. People even have like horses and it is in so many ways idyllic, but you are sacrificing some things for that kind of sequestering yourself away yeah. from other things. You're losing a lot. And you can see it, how it makes sense from a parent's perspective. And then as a child, how that feels suffocating or claustrophobic or the worst case scenario is not even thinking about it. You're just kind of going along. But then when will you start thinking for yourself? What will appear then? You know, what what ideas will appear then? There is, I want to talk about something you wrote about want and the suburbs. And this is when the narrator is talking about Alice and how she feels the pull of being so hungry, how good it feels to want so much. We all know what it is to want, not materially, maybe. Here we are all well-fed and well-housed, well-dressed and well-groomed, and our children are well taken care of. Alice Lang was, too, no matter the stories you might hear now. When she came down the stairs that morning, she came down to breakfast, eggs, toast, glistening berries like rubies in a small glass bowl. What did she have to want? Like the rest of us, she had the entire world to want. 
but we've always known enough to stop the chase when there is something too big to lose, known when to bite down and stop the hunger that threatens to consume us. That last line. Wow. Thank you. I mean, that's how it feels, this idea of biting down on that hunger and not letting it consume you when isn't that what we just are? That's how we follow our passions, our dreams, our desires, our wants. If you bite down on that for the greater good, are you really all in it together? That's the part I've never been sure about. If it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it is such a fine line between chasing after what you want and doing it in a way that is destructive or harmful, like to poor Mrs. Lang. Yes. But at the same time, yeah, again, you're sacrificing something to get something else that isn't really even true. Like, I feel like the, the, the mothers in the neighborhood, they've given up some things for what they consider to be safety and a perfect life. And then it's like, oh, no, the danger can still come. Yes. And then it's a tragic sort of thing where you've given up some things and what you got back is not what you (laughs) intended. Yeah, right. That reckoning is not an easy one if it comes out a different way. And you're right, it is such a fine line. We can't all live like individuals. There has to be some sort of thinking beyond yourself, but too much sacrifice Mm -hmm. and biting down on that want. I've never known that to not implode, (laughs) you know? Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as the book progresses, themes of parenthood emerge, and I won't give anything away. So I want to make it more personal, not about the book. You have two small children. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And I'd just love to talk about how motherhood has impacted or or influenced your writing. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. (laughs) I didn't obviously know what to expect when I was pregnant. And then when I had my baby, my first baby, and it was so all consuming and painful. (laughs) Yes. In a way that I just wasn't prepared for. And my first baby, my daughter, she's almost six now. She was really, really hard. (laughs) Yeah, mine, mine too. My, I had, my son was my first and he was really, really, really hard. Yeah. 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 It was so, and I just was like, there was so much I was reckoning with and wrestling with. And I felt this ambivalence about being a mom that I just didn't know was coming. Everybody Mm -hmm. was like, oh my gosh, it's the most magical thing. Just wait till you have this baby. There's nothing like it. And that is true. Mm-hmm. And but it's, it's not the whole story. The other stuff. Yes. <laughs> like, oh yeah. You're never going to sleep. Even when the baby is sleeping, you're just going to be like, I know for me, I was like, you know, is she breathing? Yeah. Is she fine? Oh, that's okay. That's just, such a joke that sleep when the baby sleeps. I'm like, no, oh, it never happened. Never, never. I mean, when are you supposed to do anything else? Right. <laughs> like, I was like, I guess I'll just write when the baby's writing then. (laughs) (laughs) So that it just kind of really took up all of my thinking and I was writing as a way to process it. Mm -hmm. And I I just couldn't stop myself from writing about anything else. Like Mm. I remember I was writing, I was like, I'm going to write a ghost story. I love, Mm. I love ghost stories. Mm. And then I, I was writing it and about like three fourths of the way in, I was like, ah, this is also about motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> I thought creeps. I would maybe be safe writing mm-hmm. about a ghost, but nope, found a way to just bring it back. 
my writing also got, I think, weirder and darker mm-hmm. <laughs> as I became a mom. Part of it is because becoming a mother, the literal process of giving birth is so horrifying in so many ways. And then the early days of being a newborn, it's all kind of tinged with this horror physically, but then also emotionally and mentally. And you're reckoning with your own like mortality and oh yeah, you're tasked with taking care of this baby. And so everything I wrote was kind of seen through that lens. I started writing things that were more like just a little bit darker. There were some monsters. There were some Mm. like real dark things that I was kind of processing. And now even with We Can Only Save Ourselves, it is only partly a story about motherhood, but it's in there. Like to me, that is a very important part of the book. And I think it's just, you know, maybe this is going to be something I write about my entire life. But it's been really good too. Like I'm so much more efficient than I used mm. to be. <laughs> yes, um, right. Oh yeah. With time <laughs> yes. and, and tasks. Yes. yes absolutely. I am like just squeezing in everything. Like anytime I can write, I'm just squeezing it in and like the corners and the edges of my day. And I used to kind of just be like, oh, okay, now I'm going to sit down and write. Yeah. I'm going to just sit here for like three hours <laughs> and I'm going to get up and I'm going to take a walk. And I'm like, okay, it's time. Mm-hmm. I've got an hour while my daughter's at gymnastics. Yeah. This is what I thought. (laughs) Get it done. Yeah. And so in that way, I mean, I think it's really been super good for me as a writer. It just blew up my way of thinking and my process of how I did it. Did you write a lot before the kids? So for me, I didn't start writing until after I had my kids. And it was a lot of this, a lot of the processing. And then also it did open up darker and deeper things that I needed to get out in a way I hadn't felt that before. So I'm curious if you were doing it before, what it was like after. Yeah. So how I kind of started writing was I had been a high school English teacher and I had decided to leave the school I was at. And my husband was like, hey, you've always wanted to be a writer. What if you just did it? What if instead of teaching full time, you did private tutoring? And Mm. so I was like, well, okay, I'll try it. So I did. And so I wrote for about two years before I had my first child. And the voice is so different in those earlier things. And I was focused on other stuff, but a lot of it, I think, was like grasping for what was going to be something that I felt like really passionate and felt deeply enough about to have true, authentic emotion and reflection on the page. So yeah, it's very different. Yeah. But it feels more concrete to you. It feels more like this is it. This is my thing. Yeah, 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 it definitely does. Just kind of the exploring. And part of it is just the time dedicated to a craft. Those earlier stories are also bad because. <laughs> right, I, right. You were newer. Yes. I yes, didn't yes. know what I was doing as much. Yes. And, you know, now I know a little bit more. Yeah. So it's just kind of a happy accident of those things combining, I think, yes. to help me figure it all out. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes complete sense to me. So we're talking about mothers. I wanted, I do want to talk about Mrs. Lang. She's obviously a character I could not stop thinking about as, <laughs> as a mother. Now, I heard you talk earlier about you didn't want people to really be focused on her. And I wasn't. So that was good because I wasn't like, what about her? What about her? She was in the back of my mind, but it wasn't focused. I was really on Alice's journey. So, mm-hmm. but Mrs. Lang, she lost her husband and then her daughter. I just felt for her. What inspired her? And even though she's a very kind of secondary character in this particular story, does she linger with you too? Yes. I I love her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was 
so heartbreaking to write her. And part of it is, you know, I'm the mother to a daughter as well. Mm -hmm. And I did try to just like channel how I would feel if it was my child. Mm -hmm. And it's so painful to write the sadness of her. And also just the like, there's a line in the beginning about it being like a beautiful pain or ache Mm -hmm. to look at Alice. And Mm -hmm. that's how I feel when I look at my kids and I'm watching them grow up and it's so wonderful, but it also like breaks my heart. And so I really wanted that to come through with Mrs. Lang and I wanted her to be set apart from the other mothers. And that's partly why she's Mrs. Lang and she's not, she has a first name, but they all call her Mrs. Lang. I just wanted her to be special and I wanted her to be like a good mom, but also a flawed mom. Like Mm -hmm. she wasn't doing everything perfectly, but she's a a good mom. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you do get wrapped up in it being Alice's story and you did do such a good job of helping us understand why she's leaving, like all of the other things. Her friends are, are part of it. Wesley's part of it. The new community is part of it. So you don't ever feel just that separation, but ugh, it was hard. <laughs> it was yes. hard. I felt for her. I really did. I want to talk a little bit more about writing. You talked about kind of when you jumped into it full time, when you mm-hmm. started to really take it seriously. But before that, you have you got your MFA or was that after? That was after. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I went and got my MFA after I had quit teaching and I was doing the tutoring And then we were hoping to get pregnant and have a baby. And I was like, well, I might as well, if I'm going to do this, I better do it now. And then I had my baby the last semester. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just great timing in some ways. (laughs) A lot. lot. That's a lot of, so yes, but I, I'm not much of a risk taker Mm -hmm. and there's kind of a joke in my family about how I'm not going to do anything unless I know I'm going to be good at it. You know, not the best way to live your life. And, (laughs) (laughs) but my husband like really, really encouraged me to just try it. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was painful. And because like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. And those early stories are just like schlocky and mm-hmm. sentimental and they're yeah. a mess. But it's very out of character that I that I did it. And it's honestly shocking. <laughs> yeah. But the support of your husband must have meant a lot and affirming what you probably already knew inside, but just weren't sure about before you did it. Yes. And a funny story is when I was teaching, a friend of mine was like, hey, do you want to take this poetry class with me over the summer? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I don't really know that much about poetry, but it would be good to take to my students. And I got to the class and it's a workshop. And I was like, oh, Oh. what does that, what does that mean? And they're like, oh, you're going to be writing poetry and and then we're going to read it and talk about it. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) I thought this was going to be like about poetry. Right. And I mean, I had, I had the best time. Like it was, oh, wow. it was so fun. And I oh, was like, good. you know, I wrote these poems that probably are bad and people read them and I could handle the criticism. And mm-hmm. the oh. teacher was like, Hey, you seem like you might actually be pretty good at this. And I was like, really? <laughs> well, you know, funny you should mention that because my secret dream has always been to be a writer. And I think, you know, like you said, combined with my husband's encouragement and happening to take this little class, this workshop, and someone saying, hey, you know, maybe you could, maybe you could do it. 
that just gave me like the boost that I needed to just try it. Yes. Oh, I love, I love stories <laughs> like that. I have to ask though, because you're just talking about, I am totally type A. I don't want to do anything unless I know I'm going to be good at it as well. Working at it is is tough. And I'm just, I'm wondering what your astrological sign is. Okay. Yeah. I am a Leo. Oh, Kate is a Leo and she would be so upset that she's missing this. Oh, I don't really feel I am. I meet the characteristics. Well, this is the other thing I wanted to ask. Did you mention you have siblings? I have a sister. Uh, And is she older or younger? She's younger. Okay. So firstborn. Yes. Oh, yeah. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense too. (laughs) Classic. And my daughter, so I have a daughter and a son and my daughter, I watch her and I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's just born in you. I mean, truly. It's wild. It is so funny. And my son is just like the most easygoing. I mean, he's like, we raise them the same way. They are just who they are. And yeah, that birth order stuff is. Is wild. It It is. is. It really is. (laughs) Yeah. I'm the firstborn as well. And that's Mm -hmm. definitely where I get a lot of it from. I have another brother, but then I have a much younger brother. And mm-hmm. he's like an only child, which is different oh, yeah. from a firstborn too. Only yes. child is a whole my different. My husband and my dad. So my husband is like 15 and 16 years younger than his okay. brother and sister. Yeah. And my dad is as well, strangely. And there are so many times with my husband, I'm like, it's like you're an only child. Yeah. Like there's so much about you. That's my like, brother. Yeah. That's your only child coming through. <laughs> my husband is an only child. And then my younger brother is 13 years younger than me. So yeah, third child, only child is somehow yes. bizarre, but it's true. It really is. It's so funny. Uh-huh. I love that stuff. I like to, Kate will be just devastated. Leo's, her fire sign, she loves them. Oh yeah. yeah. There's definitely the storytelling, I think part of it that is similar, but then the other stuff, like I'll always see the little things and I'm like, no, that's not, that's yeah. not me at all. <laughs> right, right. It's probably your rising sign oh. <laughs> that gets in, in the way. So we talk on this show a lot about fate versus free will and how much each one plays a role in our lives. I think it's pretty clear that Alice does not believe in fate. She says she believes in people, but yet you can't help but see coincidences that challenge whether fate or free will actually tipped Alice into leaving with Wesley. Mm -hmm. If he hadn't found her, if her and her friends hadn't gone to the school that night, if she didn't know the disappointment that was coming, there are so many what ifs that you imagine maybe, you know, this really played a role. And I know you've already talked about the poetry class, which I I think is one of those too, but I was wondering if you had any coincidences or bizarre happenings maybe on the way to publishing this book? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I feel anytime you can find someone who loves your book for what it is, that is a miracle. And like, (laughs) isn't it crazy? That it feels true. It feels very true. Yes. Yes. I mean, so when I was looking for an agent, I was actually querying with a short story collection. I had just finished this novel. I felt like it was maybe bad. I didn't really know if it was good or not good, but I'd had a bunch of stories published before. So I was like, okay, my plan is maybe I can lure somebody in with the promise, like with my short story collection. They're like, wow, I like what she's doing. And then I can like 
say, I also have this novel that might yeah. be bad, but maybe <laughs> you could help me make it better. So I was just trying to find a agents on publishers marketplace that were that would read short story collections. And I got to Stephanie Delman, who is my agent. And when I was reading about her and what she liked and about her other books, I was like, Oh, my gosh, she's this is it. She's the one. Uh. And so I, I queried her. And the day I got her full request, a request Mm. for the full manuscript, I was looking through Twitter and publishers marketplace. And I saw an announcement for a book by Julia Fine who is another one of Stephanie's clients. And it was a postpartum ghost story. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> so like when Stephanie emailed me, I was like, oh my gosh, I just saw Julia Fine's announcement on Publishers Marketplace. I really think you're going to love my collection. And she did. And mm-hmm. like, Julia is a friend now and her book Upstairs House is coming out right after mine in March, the postpartum ghost story. And, but that just was like, it did feel a little bit like fate that I would see this announcement that was just the kind of thing that I would be, that I was interested in working on. And my, my short story collection is all about motherhood and ghosts and (laughs) things like that. So yeah, then the, it did work out that she signed me and now here we are. But the same thing with finding an an editor who loves it. Yeah. My editor, Emily Griffin, I just, all of it seems just like, oh, this is just amazing. (laughs) It would work out like that. And has it taught you, this is an issue for, for me and Kate too, both type A fire signs. Do you trust more or it's still a struggle to trust that those things align when and how they're supposed to align? Yeah, I mean, I kind of do feel like it will work out if Mm. it's supposed to. And part of it has been that, like, I have a team I really trust. Like, when I was having this book go on submission, I was like, okay, I'm very much a worrier about everything. (laughs) And my my writing life has been one area where I've been, like, relatively angst-free. And Mm. I don't know how, but I just was like, whatever, I'm just going to take my cue from, like, Stephanie if she tells me it's fine, I'm just going to say, okay, it's fine. Like, I'm not going to worry about it. I've got too many other things to think about. It's amazing. I've gotten this far. If this one doesn't work out, there's another one I can do. Like, I don't, you know, know how it's, (laughs) I kind of got so lucky with being able to do that because I I will worry anything else in my life to death. (laughs) Especially the stuff we can't control that we have no control over. That's stuff that worries me the most. (laughs) It's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. That's funny. It's always been in that. And it's not like you like jotted something down in three months and then sold it the next day. You were had been working on this for a long time. And so Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had. And this book started out as just a section of another book that was mm-hmm. going to be about three women in cults and the stories were kind of linked. And then I finished it and I was like, well, this actually is terrible. Like this did not come together the way that I wanted it to. So I decided to take them all apart and just focus on each one and developing each one into its own separate book. And so that's how this book ended up being born. So it was like a long process and it was right after my son was born that I was like, I'm just going to start over. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just, oh. I'm just going to start over and see what happens. And I'm so glad I did. It was, and part of it, I was so tired from yes. having the second baby that I could really like be less precious about it and have mm-hmm. more fun because 
I mean, my brain was only like 50% working anyway. So it gave me a little bit of freedom to just let it be what it is. Yeah, I find that's the best way to write is to have somehow have part of your brain shut off because full brain, it's it's too much. You get in your head. Yes, it is. Yeah. So do you have, and I'm guessing the answer is probably no, but do you have like a structure around writing or you're just always, like you said, putting it in at the edges, squeezing it in whenever you can? Yeah. So everything is just kind of blown up this past year. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter was starting kindergarten this year. Oh my gosh. So I was like going into it. I was like, okay, kindergarten, like my son actually naps. My first one did not nap. And I'm like, I'm going to be able to like actually get stuff done because she's going to be at school. And, and of course that just has not really happened. (laughs) Gone down the tubes. Yeah. (laughs) My daughter did get to go to in-person school for a few, a couple months this semester before everything, you know, kind of, it was just a roller coaster of open, closed, whatever. Yes. Yes. And so I did just decide like, I'm not going to do anything else during that, you know, hour and a half I have of my son sleeping. I'm not going to clean. I'm not going to cook. I'm not going to put away laundry. I'm just going to work. But otherwise, I mean, I keep notes on my phone of Mm -hmm. scenes that I know I want to include. And that's almost exclusively how I wrote. We can only save ourselves. I just have, I still have the note on my phone. It's just a running list of things I wanted to happen. And I didn't even necessarily know the order. I wrote this book out of order which I hope I will never do again. (laughs) It it worked miraculously, but when I was doing it, I was like, this is, this was really dumb. (laughs) But yeah, just, I would go through the scenes and I would be like, okay, I'd look at my, my phone notes and Mm -hmm. I'd say, okay, this is a scene I'm working on. Right. Then I would, I would work on that scene and then piece it all together and just kind of a mess, but (laughs) it it got Do you, do you do any writing? So no writing longhand. You, it's always. I do not write longhand. Yeah, I have to have the kind of disassociation of typing. Handwriting feels so much more intimate to me. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I will be too precious about it if I do write in longhand. I've got to just you know shut it down and just write on the computer yeah. or type on type on my phone. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you listen to music or anything? Nope, no music. My house is never quiet. Right. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Anytime that things can be quiet. Yeah. I love that. I used to go to a coffee shop and work. And so I didn't mind the ambient sounds, but right. I cannot have any kind of like music. And it's just got to be like nice and quiet. My desk has to be my desk, which is our kitchen table, uh-huh. <laughs> has to be clean. Right. Anything I see needs to be like pretty much put away and doesn't have to be like perfect, but it just has to look tidy. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you're signaling to your brain, this it's is time. ready. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then that helps kick you into gear. All the mm-hmm. the scientific research confirms that or supports that. Yeah. Idea. And that's so. just a, a gift to have that. Right now, I just, I write during my daughter's gymnastics practice. Like mm-hmm. I take her to gymnastics and then I'm like, okay, this is my, this is my time. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's That's wherever nice. you can fit it in. That's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm very similar. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't just squeezing it in. Right. I don't, if I had a day stretched out before me and I was like, oh, I wouldn't know what to do with it. I know so much time. <laughs> I mean, now it, it is like, yeah, you've kind of got this fire under you. It's like, 
the baby's yeah. about to wake up. Yeah. I'm about to have to go get in the carpool pickup line and it's, yeah. you know, time to go. And yeah, right. I do right. dream of having like a full day, but I know that at this point I'm not conditioned to work like that anymore. Right, right. right. Yes. It would take some getting used to <laughs> yes. a little, you know, like take an evening, start with that and then yeah. build up to it. I do love like a, an extended period of time, like on a retreat or a weekend, obviously mm-hmm. not in COVID, but, yeah. but pre that those were always very productive for me that like give it all and then stop. Mm-hmm. But well, I know you're going to be very busy promoting We Can Only Save Ourselves. I loved this book. I'm so glad you wrote it and put it out into the world. Oh, thank you. I wanted to talk about if you're into anything right now, any shows, movies, books, authors that you're loving or that inspire you that you want to share. Okay, let me think. I'm always reading. I love TV. (laughs) Yeah, well, what? What do you watch? I'm trying to think of what, okay, well, embarrassingly, I've been binge watching Dexter because they've been oh, okay. about to take it off of Netflix. And I was uh, like, I started it and then it was like, surprise, they're taking this title off. And I was like, now I have to finish it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not held up that well. It's been good pandemic viewing. Yeah. Just, you know, before that we watched, we loved the Queen's Gambit. Ah, oh, so good. Yes, so it was so good. good. It was honestly what I needed. I cried. Yeah, I loved that. I was like, I wish oh. my clothes were clothes. <laughs> I know. Oh, so good. It's like I should try winged eyeliner. Yeah. <laughs> and then I am currently reading the a novel called The Brightlands, and it is set in Texas. It's a kind of football horror story. Oh. But I'm also, like I said, The Upstairs House by Julia Fine mm-hmm. is coming out. It's incredible. Other debut things I'm reading for people who are coming out in 2021. The Girls Are Also Nice Here by Lori yeah. Flynn. Yeah. Have you read that? I have it. We're interviewing her. So. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yes. Next one. I'm trying to read multiple things at once. Of course. And do all the books. (laughs) Yes. All the the things. All the things. That's right. (laughs) Yes. Have you heard of The Flight Attendant with Okay. It's been recommended to me. Is it good? It is. Well, I don't know. Something about when you said Dexter being the perfect kind of escape. It's along those lines. Okay. I loved it. And it's not my usual cup of tea. And I never watched The Big Bang Theory. So I'm not in particular a fan of hers. I I just didn't know anything about her. It was fantastic. I heard she's really good in it. Yeah. And although it's very controversial because it's supposedly very, very different from the book. Oh. But Mm -hmm. I didn't read the book. I only watched the show. Highly recommend Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we watched The Undoing. Did you watch oh, The Undoing? I didn't. I didn't. And now I'm glad I didn't because I hear people are extremely disappointed. I mean, here's the thing. It's kind of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> but again, <laughs> I was entertained. Yeah. I was entertained the whole time. The ending, I was like, okay, you got me there. But it's, you know, again, like my standards are low yeah, <laughs> right now. Right now. And yeah. it's just that you need a certain thing. I've also... I love The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I've uh-huh. been watching that. You know, it's just a it's a time when you need to comfort yourself in whatever way yes. you can. You know, I will say though, so we live in Manhattan, but we are out in the country now. We mm-hmm. have been since COVID near my parents, and it was almost too hard to watch, like New York City being oh. New York City in the undoing. Yes. I was like, no, that's not my city right now. That's not what it looks like. That's not what it feels like. It was too hard. It was a little too soon for me. Yes. Oh, yeah, totally. I know how that feels. 
I just not to bring it again back to having a baby, but like after I had my children, I was like, I can't read anything about babies. I can't read anything about motherhood. Like it's, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to consume it. But at the same time, when I did, I was like, this is too painful for me. Like I remember reading the department of speculation after I had my first baby. Yes. And I was just like nursing her and reading it and just like crying. Crying. (laughs) Me too. Yes. Like, oh, it is. Some things are just too near and too tender. Yeah. For, you know, watching something or reading something. Yeah. And that's personal. That's not, there's no criticism of the book or the show or whatever it is. It's just, just, I I can't. I can't. Yeah. And, and a lot of ways it's a compliment. It's just yeah. too, it's, you know, it's too real. It's just, it you is. know, it's, it's what it's supposed to be. And then yes. that just doesn't work for me in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a right time and place for all the books, That's all the things. Right. That's right. And Nicole Kidman, she's fantastic. She Oh yeah. Her coat in that show. Yes. <laughs> they, they are, they have taken uh, on, you know, a life of their own. <laughs> I know. I was like, what coat is she going to be wearing today? Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> well, let me tell you, the flight attendant is the opposite of that. She wears like the same coat the whole time. It's probably the one okay, thing that bothered me. <laughs> closer to my own life. Yes. <laughs> so that sounds good. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend. Well, tell our listeners where they can find you on social media, where you're yes. most active. and I am most active on Instagram. I do have two Instagrams. One is my own where if you would like to see what my life looks like just and my children. And that is at Allison Wisdom, Allison with one L. And then I also have one devoted to We Can Only Save Ourselves. It has a little more book content. Oh, nice. Like mood board things, pictures that inspired me as I was working. I'll also be putting up recipes. Mrs. Lang's recipes. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's exciting. So if, you feel like, if you feel like baking something, you can follow me at We Can Only Save Ourselves. I'm also on Twitter at Allison L. Wisdom. Yeah, that's that's where I primarily am. I'm on Facebook too, but I don't really use it. But I'm, you can you can find me there. I am a stress baker, so I will take those recipes. Okay, I've I've got you covered. I've got all <laughs> of the things she bakes in the novel. I've got all the recipes. I'm I love post it. Them, so. I love it. Okay, good, great. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. Oh, thank you. It was so fun. Thank you for having me. This was really great. Thank you. We want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content. Because Pop Fiction Women is our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology, and we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like Normal People, Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this podcast we do ourselves, from the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further. So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash pop fiction women this has been pop fiction women with corinne and kate if you enjoyed this show please tell the complicated women in your life and the men who love them yes tell them to listen 
and then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.